The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Today's buzz, the city. Hey, it's more than just your snail mail address. The city is a vital entity with the power to impact local quality of life. That means how you live, what goes on with you and your family and everything, as well as national and even global economies. I have a couple of quotes about the city I think you will enjoy. Here we go, one from ancient Rome. The city, the city, my dear Brutus, stick to that and live in its full light. Residence elsewhere, as I made up my mind in early life, is mere eclipse and obscurity to those whose energy is capable of shining in Rome. Recognize that. It's Marcus Tilius Cicero. Excuse me. And I have a couple of statistics here on U.S. cities. Colonial America, for those of you who know American history, was largely rural. In 1750, there were only five cities with populations more than 12,000. Guess which ones? I'll tell you. Boston, New York. Philadelphia, Newport, Rhode Island, huh? And Charleston, South Carolina, the five biggest cities in 1750. By the year 1830, less than 7% of the people in America were living in cities. And then guess what? Canals, railway building, industrial expansion, mass immigration, and we had rapid growth. By 1920, 50% of the people lived in cities. And, however, after World War II, guess what? Cities shrank in size and the suburbs exploded. So I have a big question for my listeners. So how's your city running today? The experts speak, and what a great panel we have. Dr. Teresa Pardo says, running a city is a complex and challenging task. Running it well, even more so. The best-run cities embrace the complexity of the task. They see the opportunities that information and technology offer in managing that complexity, and they seek out innovative yet practical solutions to the problems their citizens care about. We'll be talking to Dr. Teresa Pardo in just a moment. Lots of great energy and lots of thought here. Chris Moore from Edmonton is joining us today, and Chris says... Government technology is not for the faint of heart. Chris knows exactly what he's talking about. A lot of words to the wise. There are a lot of experience. Uh, D. Tomer is joining us today, and he says, if knowledge is the key, then just show me the lock. Recognize that? It's from Q-Tip, a tribe called Quest, and the song is Check the Rhyme, R-H-I-M-E. I had to learn that. And we're joined on the panel as well by Sean Patrick O'Brien, calling all the way from China today. We'll hear from him in a minute. And he says, the 19th century was a century of empires. The 20th century was a century of nation states. The 21st century will be a century of cities. And this is a quote from Wellington E. Webb, the former mayor of Denver. So join us today for Best 
run cities, urban matters. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are live. It's March 13th, 2013, and this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. So happy to be coming to you L-I-V-E live. And I have a question for my listeners. We know you're Game Changers, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Are you looking for enterprise-grade mobile applications that deliver secure information when and where you need it? I have a free Aberdeen white paper for you that addresses how to have secure delivery for your corporate email, your business intelligence dashboards, your customer inventory and sales data. Go to any banner on our page on the business channel and click for a whole bunch of free goodies. And now I want to tell you about my special guests. Dr. Teresa A. Pardo is director of the Center for Technology and Government at the University of Albany, State University of New York, SUNY to those of us who are here in New York, where she also holds research professor appointments in public administration and policy and informatics. Welcome, Dr. Teresa Pardo. May I call you Teresa? Yes, certainly. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. How's the weather up there, by the way? Are you in Albany now? I am. It's actually, excuse me, it's actually not bad today. A little cloudy, but no rain. So no rain is a good thing. Good. We know we had rain, and it's sunny here on Long Island, so I'm glad to hear from you. And joining us today is Chris Moore, the CIO Chief Information Officer at the City of Edmonton. He partners with local and global organizations to foster Edmonton's role as a technology leader. Chris has been described, Chris, I hope you're going to live up to this, as transformational, innovative, disruptive, and refreshing. How refreshing are you today? Chris Moore, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? Great, Bonnie. Thanks, and excellent to be here. Good. Wonderful. I'm glad. I want to hear you be disruptive. And joining us is Adi Tomer. I have to spell the name because nobody will get it. A-D-I-E-T-O-M-E-R. Adi Tomer is a senior research associate and associate fellow with the Brookings Institution Metropolitan Policy Program. That's a big title, Adi. And a member of the Metropolitan Infrastructure Initiative. I want to see your business card. He's a noted expert on driving trends. Woo, can you help us here on Long Island? Metropolitan Aviation Patterns and transit connectivity. And before that, I have to tell everybody, Adi worked at the New York County District Attorney's Office where he advised senior executives on policy-relevant matters. How are you, Adi? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. Good. Where are you joining us from today? Sunny and warm Washington, D.C. All right. We got a couple of East Coasters here. This is good news. And rounding out the panel is Sean Patrick O'Brien. Sean is Global Vice President for Urban Matters and Public Security at SAP. He's responsible for SAP's global strategy, solutions portfolio, ecosystem and go-to-market activities in relation to what else? Smart cities, public safety and security. Early on, Sean's career was as a military scientist in the Royal Army Medical Corps and a senior police officer in the UK. I'm going to say hello, sir. How are you, Sean Patrick O'Brien? I'm doing really well from Nanjing in eastern China. So I'm adding to the population. There's, there's 8 million in this city and it's 8 million and one now for this evening. I hope that they welcome you. Thank you, Sean, for joining us. And we might have a little delay on your line, but we're thrilled to have you. So let's do deep dive into our monologue. Let's talk to my guests about your quotes. Let's take about a minute each because we got a packed house today. So direct Dr. Teresa Pardo. Teresa, running a city is a complex and challenging task, running it well even more so. What's so hard about running a city today, Teresa? Give us the, the big overview. Well, I think uh, there's there's many, many things that are complex about running a city, challenging about running a city. But I, I think one of the things that, you know, in, in my minute that I, that I would kind of touch on is one of the things we see very often happening, which is I think a, a misstep out of the gate, is um, 
assumptions that are made about the simplicity of, of, a, of a task or a problem. Um, we think that a city that's run well is a, is a city that is, has leadership, has um, a government officials who are willing to invest in unpacking the complexity of the work of cities, um, not making simplifying assumptions that are very often turn out to be wrong. So being willing to take the time to unpack the problem, to see even something as simple as a permit uh, uh, application, not to mention human services support programs. They're very complex processes. Information and technology has tremendous opportunity to improve those programs, but we have to understand the basic complexity of the needs and the programs that are designed to help those needs or respond to them before we invest in huge uh, technology-oriented solutions to fix those problems. So paying attention to the complexity, unpacking it, don't make simplifying assumptions, that's hard to do because it takes people time, energy, and effort. Uh, so it's hard to do, and that's why I think running, creating a best-run city is very challenging because it causes a lot of energy, or it requires a lot of energy internally focused to understand what is the best and most practical solution going forward. Thank you. Great insights, Teresa. And I would say, I'm going to ask you a quick question before we turn to Chris mm -hmm. Moore, who certainly knows the reality. Question is, does city equal a bureaucracy? Is that a dirty word today? Well, I think any government equals a bureaucracy. And I think bureaucracies are actually have the potential to be really wonderful things. The problem isn't the bureaucracy. I think the problem often is that we don't really understand how our bureaucracies have evolved. Um, and we need to unpack those bureaucracies and make them, refine them, fine-tune them um, within the context of a city, I think that's a really exciting thing to do because our bureaucracy is so close to the citizen. Right? It's not like a national government where the citizens are, 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 are a few clicks removed. But at the city level, we can be doing almost real-time prototyping, if you will, of the bureaucracy while working very closely with the citizens. So the cities is an exciting and special um, context that I think um, – provides us really great opportunity to understand exactly what technology can do because we can work so closely and intimately with the citizens and the bureaucracy. Thank you, Teresa. And let's turn to the man who knows what we're really talking about today, Chris Moore, city of Edmonton. Your quote, Chris, was government technology is not for the faint of heart. Welcome again, Chris. Talk to me. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is we're at a point in time at a nexus where the consumerization of technology, our staff, our citizens, they can go out on the weekend, get a smartphone, get apps, get on the web, get open data, and come back on Monday and have solutions. So back in the 80s and 90s, or back in the 80s when I started my career in technology, uh, you know, we were running mainframes. People didn't think a, a desktop computer would run a corporation. People in the business didn't have the knowledge they do today or the people at home to help them, you know, support them with their technology understanding. So we as an IT organization have to show up differently, and we have to be prepared to embrace the consumerization of technology, the availability of information and apps. And it's not for the faint of heart because we're not running your grandfather's, you know, computing department anymore. The, mm -hmm. the world has this knowledge, and as I tell people around here, we need to figure out how to embrace social media and the web because if we look at what happened you know, in other countries in the Arab Spring, if we don't respond to the public and engage them in the new ways they want to be engaged, they're going to engage us, they're going to use the technology, and the tables are going to turn. 
Thank you, Chris. I have a quick promotional question for you. How would you characterize Edmonton? Why would we want to visit this? Are you a model city? Give me a, a quick overview. What's wonderful about Edmonton with you in charge? Well, what's wonderful is that we understand, we get the possibilities around information and technology. We figure out how to engage our citizens. We don't show up with with standards and, you know, obstacles. I, I'm still the one throat to choke in terms of information <laughs> technology, uh, you know, and, and if stuff gets out there in the wild. But really what we're trying to do is we're trying to build an ecosystem where we leverage the collaborative efforts of not just the staff but the citizens to do something new. And, you know, we've done open data, we've done apps competitions, but what I like to say is that, you know, with some of these new ways of doing things, we don't have to kill tax dollars to get things done. We figure out how to engage the public and not just engage them to, to make apps, but also engage them in terms of how, what do they want their city to be in the future. Sounds wonderful. I want to visit. And just before we go to break, I want to get Adito Mayor in here with your quote. Sean, we're going to have to move you to the second uh, segment, so don't worry. I haven't forgotten you. Adi, your quote from QTIP, a tribe called Quest. Check the rhyme. If knowledge is the key, then just show me the lock. What knowledge are we looking at, Adi, and what kind of lock do you want? Yeah, sure. So I, I think QTIP was probably speaking of his own knowledge, um, if I can safely uh, break down his thoughts there. <laughs> But I, I think what the quote kind of symbolizes for us in this kind of modern period here as we, as we enter the 21st century is that we actually have so much knowledge already. We have everything from the sensors and data collection methods to actually get the data about what's going on in our cities. Uh, we have the databases, as Chris kind of just talked about, to be able to organize that data in a sensible manner, whether it be kind of raw data from the world or even, you know, kind of social media data, which is, tends to be unstructured. Um, and then we, of course, have the, all the analytical software you can imagine to help break down that data, make sense of it. But with all oh. those inputs, it's not necessarily that useful if we don't know what we actually want to do in our cities. That's the proverbial lock in the quote. So what do we actually want to unlock? What kind of city do we want to live in? What kind of economic growth model do we want to uh, take on? And what do we where do we envision ourselves in the future? Uh, the information, the data can help us get there, but we need to have kind of sound decision-making and sound thought process going into it. Wonderful. I think what we're talking about today is not just smart cities, which we've covered on uh, Game Changers Radio before. We're talking about the smart people in the cities figuring it out. All good points. So far, we've heard from Dr. Teresa Pardo, Chris Moore, Adi Tomer. And when we come back, just before we do the coffee, what's in your cup today? I'm going to introduce again Sean Patrick O'Brien from SAP, and we'll find out why he says the 21st century will be a century of cities, quoting Wellington E. Webb, former Denver mayor. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Stick with us. Today's topic best run cities urban matters yes they do don't even think of touching that app we'll be right back brad out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP.
SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are. We're ready to bring in our fourth panelist, Sean Patrick O'Brien from SAP, calling all the way from China. And we're going to dissect his quote from Wellington E. Webb. The 19th century was a century of empires. 20th century was a century of nation states. Here we are in the 21st century. It will be a century of cities. Talk to me, Sean O'Brien. What did Wellington E. Webb mean? What do you think? Well, I I think... Uh, this is a unique time for us all in history because I, I don't think in the world we've ever seen so many people move to urban settings, to cities. So if you look at the big challenge that we have our, in, our, in our world today, one of the big challenges is urbanization. So you know, 80% of the U.S. population live in large cities. Uh, in China, uh, they've moved from 36% to 50% of the population living in cities in 10 years. And if we look at Latin America, by 2025, 85% of the population in Latin America will live in cities. So the world is urbanizing, and it's urbanizing fast. The second challenge we have in cities is cities are key to, to the national and global economy. Most of the GDP, I think if you take 120 of the best cities that you can find in a report last year, they account for 29% of the global GDP. So the second thing is cities are really key to the city economy, but they're also key to the national economy. And I think the third thing that we're seeing is cities are actually the biggest consumers of energy, water, and they have the most complex social problems. And the final point I would make is that citizens, cities are closest to the citizen. So in terms mm. of government, they're at the cutting edge. And I think those four things, the economy, urbanization, uh, convergence of technology and, and their proximity to, to citizens is all driving change through cities. And, and this century, like no other, will be one dominated by the city. Thank you, Sean. Great points. Uh, we are really level set in terms of our topic with all four of my guests, and I appreciate that. But now you know what time it is. Running a little late on our What's in Your Cup Today segment, I'm going to go back to Teresa Pardo. Teresa, what are you drinking today, or what do you want us to think you're drinking today? What's in that cup? Well, um, I'm actually drinking um, chrysanthemum tea. And Ooh. this is chrysanthemum tea that my son, who just recently returned from studying at Fudan University with uh, a colleague of mine who is part of the Smart City Research and Practice Consortium um, at Fudan University. And uh, so I'm drinking chrysanthemum tea that he brought back with me, or for me, because he knows from previous trips that I've made to China. And, and maybe, Sean, you'll have a chance to have some chrysanthemum tea if you haven't tried it yet. It's great stuff and wonderfully calming. Teresa, I bet it has a wonderful fragrance. Can you just breathe from the cup and enjoy the fragrance even before you drink it? Oh, absolutely. That's one of its, uh, that's one of its uh, benefits is just having it in the room with you, not just drinking it but experiencing it. 
sounds beautiful. Chris Moore, all the way from Edmonton. What are you drinking today, Chris? I am drinking city water that comes out of the North Saskatchewan River that flows from the glaciers in the Rocky Mountains. I love it. That's probably the best water description we've had on almost 90 shows. Is it, it, is it cold? It's, cold or room temperature, Chris? I have to know. It's, it's cold. We actually have a couple of containers in the kitchen. My office is an office of the future. It's open. It's collaborative. We write on the walls. But in the kitchen, which is an open space, and most people at home, they meet in the kitchen. And so we meet, talk, and collaborate in the kitchen. But in our kitchen, there's two containers of cold water with ice, one with, uh, lo- one with lemons and one with cucumbers. Oh, my goodness. Be still my heart. This is great stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Peg told me you were progressive. This is terrific stuff. Uh, Peg Cates, by the way, you're listening. I need to know what you're drinking today because we have to include you. Uh, Adi Tomer, what are you drinking today? Anything that Q-tip would approve? No, oh, I'm not sure. I'm already caffeinated from an earlier meeting, so now I'm staring at a water glass that I wish was a uh, a Bloody Mary, frankly, but it's the weekday, <laughs> so it's not. <laughs> We get the most honest people on our panels here. Sean Patrick O'Brien calling from China. What time of day or evening is it, Sean, and what are you drinking right now? Well, it's approaching midnight, 30 minutes to midnight. So I've done a really good combination. I've been really healthy with green tea. But in that green tea, in that Chinese tea, I have put a dash of Chinese whiskey. And you pronounce Chinese whiskey bai chow. And... I'm careful not to use too much because it will bite you if if you have too much of it. <laughs> we just don't want it to keep you awake too long. Thank you for that. And I have a couple of uh, coffee notes to read here. The beautiful Marlo Margot Heiligman. Margot, I changed your name. Margot Heiligman is tweeting and she says, Bonnie, I'm having Yama Mota Yama Gemmai Cha. I'm really butchering this. Yamamoto Yama Genmai Cha Roasted Brown Rice Tea. And she says we're having an exciting show today. Thank you, Margo. Kristen Mestri from Florida, I think in Miami, says she's giving herself the royal treatment with an amazingly exotic, incredibly yummy multitude of mango blended with oranges and apples. I don't know if that's coffee, tea, or juice, but it sounds wonderful, Kristen. And, of course, we're hearing from Malcolm, my co-producer, my tweeter extraordinaire, Malcolm, says, and I quote, After eight nights on the road, Malcolm is so happy to be reunited with his beloved Equator Coffee's alligator French, not to mention his beautiful wife, Kathy. I think he wanted me to say that as well. So (laughs) thank you very much, Malcolm. We're going to go back into our topic, Best Run Cities, Urban Matters. I want to start this part of the roundtable with Adi Tomer from Brookings. Adi, you told me before the show, you have an interesting perspective here, and I'm guessing all of my panelists with you will agree. Let's start with this. Before deciding how they want to grow, cities must decide what they want to be. Adi, give me your perspective a little bit on how this works into your research at Brookings, and then we'll ask the rest of the panel to join you and see if this is a good starting point. Cities must decide what they want to be. Adi, take it from here, please. Yeah, sure, and I appreciate uh, the kind of summary there. You know, I think especially for listeners, but also the panelists here, you know, Oftentimes when we think about cities, for people, it's, especially if they live in them or not, it's about the places we travel to, right? So, you know, if you're going to Barcelona, it might be about, you know, Los Ramblas, or if uh, you're going to London, it's Trafalgar Square, or Hyde Park, or, or New York City, it's, it's going to see uh, some of the great tourist sites. And, you know, in many ways, 
those embody the cities uh, that we want to see, or in some cases, the cities that we actually live in. Uh, but the way cities kind of actually tick, the actual works beneath them, is another kind of assembly of unique characteristics. And, you know, you have some places, let's say like a Pittsburgh, which of course is changing, but over the course of the 19th and 20th centuries, right, our steel capital of America. Uh, you have other markets, let's say like L.A. still, the entertainment capital of, of America. These are really unique, productive um, kind of profiles to these places, and they really help give them an advantage when they, number one, trade with other places. That's what they sell so they can bring in more money to buy other goods and have other services. Um, and some places do it very purposefully, and some people, places do it more organically, and it just kind of happens over time. And what we're kind of pointing to here, especially for our research, is better understanding what makes metropolitan areas and their chief central cities tick. What do they actually want to be? What do they think their most important kind of uh, feature is that they can sell to the broader, broader world, whether it be here in the United States or even further abroad? So I think a good example right there in New York City where you guys are broadcasting from mm -hmm. is this kind of applied sciences center that Mayor Bloomberg and his partners have helped build on Roosevelt Island or are starting to build. Um, this is the idea of trying to create a more distinct, innovative capital, and I mean quite literally a, a physical place, that can help mm -hmm. bring innovative ideas to the New York marketplace. Um, uh, a combination of work from, uh, I believe it's Cornell and then an Israeli university, so really cross-global um, partnerships, and really become a new way to bring money into New York City in terms of the ideas that they'll help create and create a solid base of innovative uh, human capital within New York City. That's an idea of what they want to be, and then it can start to, to pivot off of the other kind of you know, smart city, quote-unquote, investments uh, that New York is already making at the moment and it has planning for the future. Thank you, Adi. Funny Good points. Yes, Chris, I wanted to bring you in. Is that you, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Just want to add what Adi was saying. There's some, some real leading cities in the world, New York as well, Boston, Barcelona, Helsinki, who are actually creating a couple of things. Some of them are creating uh, innovation corporations so that they can partner with uh, business. And also others like New York and Boston are creating uh, innovation districts. And it's mm -hmm. fascinating because it, it's really, you know, taking us into the future and, and cities are taking on a whole new responsibility really beyond economic development. It's really about innovation development. Yeah, and I, I think this is Teresa. I want to kind of jump in on this because I think one of the things that's also um, important to keep in mind, <clears throat> excuse me, as we think about the growth of the cities, and I agree with everything that I've heard, but I, I think one, one kind of city we really haven't talked about yet is the small to medium-sized city, which I think is a really important part of this conversation, in large mm -hmm. part because the research tells us that most of the growth that we're going to see over the next decades is really going to be in those small to medium-sized cities. It's not the New Yorks and the Philadelphias, which are, are growing, but in terms of the, the percentage increases, it's these small to medium-sized cities. And I'd like to kind of you know, dip back to a comment that Chris made, which is that Edmonton's IT environment is not his grandfather's computing environment. But in fact, in lots of these small to medium-sized cities, they are absolutely working with 70s and 80s technologies. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of the folks that we're working with at this small to medium-sized environment are, are really wrestling with how, particularly in these difficult economic times, to do the kinds of things that Adi is talking about. How do we figure out what is our priority as we are wrestling with the kind of industrial blight that they're experiencing, then, then the undercutting their economic opportunity because of the downturn, and then wrestling with, <clears throat> some of these folks are still wrestling with, you know, mid-80s technology. 
And so, for example, we talk to them uh, about the challenges that they face in putting data on the web, uh, very much like what's happening. They see what's happening in New York and Edmonton and Philadelphia and other large cities around the world, and they say, we want to do that. We want to provide our citizens with the kind of transparency of our governments that will help them work with us to solve the problems that are really critical in these small to medium-sized cities. But they have no capability to do that. You know, someone would say, oh, it just takes two minutes to put a, website, a, a data set to the web. But there is no one who has the kind of capabilities that are necessary to do that in many of these small to medium-sized cities. So they're really wrestling with kind of the basic um, foundational um, opportunity capabilities, both in technology and leadership and policy, to be part of, you know, the 21st century of the city. Um, they really want to be there, but they're really wrestling with their fundamental capabilities. So I think that's a big opportunity um, to make a difference in the kinds of uh, opportunities that are available for citizens in these small cities. How do we think about what's happening in New York and Philadelphia and Chicago uh, and, and Sao Paulo? And how do we think about what's happening in Albany, uh, the capital of the state of New York, which is a much smaller city, um, who's wrestling with those questions, and Schenectady and Depew, Iowa. How do we think about those small cities? I have a question. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, Chris and, and Adi, and, and of course, Sean kicked off this segment. I have a question. We're almost ready for break, but I'm going to pose this question, and I think we'll, yeah, we're ready. We're at break. I'm going to pose this question. I want to open the next part of the roundtable with this. We have not level set, my friends. We have not defined what exactly is a city. If Chris, Adi, Bonnie, Sean, and Teresa tomorrow wanted to go out and make a city with all of our names strung together, I know we can get a URL for it, but it'd be kind of hard to pronounce, and nobody would know whose name went first. If we wanted to define a city and start a city, could we? Can you start a new city today? How many people does it take to call it a city? What is this institution called a city? So I want all of you to please think about that when we come back, and let's do a little level setting and definition, and then we'll continue to talk. And Chris Moore, I want you to talk also as well about the practical strategic vision that requires workable plans to support the vision of a city. Maybe we'll create a new city right here. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be right back after the app. Brad, out, break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at twitter hashtag SAPRADIO now let's get back to coffee break with game changers 
I want to level set a little about cities. And I have a quote here from my friend Sean Patrick O'Brien, who will open this segment. Sean says, if we look at the U.S., Latin America, Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, it is cities and urban settlements that are powering national and global economies. They are witnessing massive demographic shifts. They have rising consumer classes. The future for them is urban. So, Sean, how do we define a city today? What is it? And could we start our own right after the show? What do you think? Well, I think we we can look to China to examples of them starting cities. Um, I mean, Nanjing, where I am, am this evening, has been around for a long, long time. But they've tripled their population in the last 10 years. But I was in Beijing yesterday, and I went outside Beijing, and I met some government officials, and they're building a brand-new city. They're, they're talking about building a 17-square-kilometer uh, city in five years from scratch. So in China, they have a plan to go from 221 to 400 cities over a million people in the next uh, coming years. So, you know, the thing that you recognize when you go to China is they're creating new cities all the time. Uh, and, and these cities, one of the big challenges they have is they suddenly have an influx of the population. And these the population have not come from this city, so they've, they've no association with the city. So how can they put the heart in the city? So back to your question, I think, I think mm-hmm. cities are being created in China I think the speed at which they're being created is phenomenal. And I think uh, we can learn a lot from how they're designing cities and the infrastructure. Because when you start from scratch, it's pretty easy to have the right design from, on that basis. Thank you, Sean. Uh, Chris Moore, Edmonton, if you wanted to say, okay, I've had it with Edmonton, I did my best time to start a new city. Could you do it? Would you do it? How much work would it take? And uh, what is a city as far as you're concerned? Chris Moore? Well, and we're we're a fairly young city. We've been around for 108 years. But to me, if you're going to start a city, you need a, a group of people that have a purpose and a passion. Um, I may be the contrarian in this kind of build it and they will come. I mean, we, we live, we've got 1.2 million people uh, uh, fairly far north, 54th parallel. It gets as cold as minus 40 Celsius. And when you're talking Ooh. Celsius, that's cold Fahrenheit. But the the point is, is that this city exists because there's people who have a, a passion to, uh, to to build a city, to build a great city. And when we think about the future, our council actually in 2010 approved a 30-year vision to 2040. And now what we're doing is we're executing on that vision. So what it takes to, to build a great city is people, committed people in community with a vision and a purpose and, you know, also paying attention to the people that are not in government or the administration, you know, the citizens. Chris, yeah. what's the minimum number of people before three? Go ahead. I think that if you think about the Olympics and the infrastructure, say for London last year, we brought together the people for what, four weeks to have this wonderful Olympic competition. And I think, you know, cities, as Chris said, that the soul of the city is the people and the culture and the heritage and the diversity and how communities form is the key to making a city you know, vibrant and diverse and globally attractive. And I think that, that's, that's a science in its own, own right. Yeah, I, I think ahead, one of the words that I've heard kind of jump in here was in these last two comments from Chris and <clears throat> Sean is, is, a, is, a, is a really important one, and it's the word community. Um, mm-hmm. I think when we think about cities and we want to kind of define the city itself, we right. also need to think about the city in terms of communities both within the city itself 
and then the kind of communities that exist in the metropolitan regions around those cities. And a lot of the work that is being done also is in, in trying to understand metropolitan regions and how do we leverage or coordinate the services and the because as people live in cities or they live in the metropolitan regions they're coming they're going um, they're they're moving among the metropolitan areas around a city so I think that aspect of that environment really is very important for us to understand both the city itself and then the communities and the regions that are all dependent or interdependent um, uh, with that city. I just wanted to point out one thing. I forgot to mention this to you, Bonnie, but my great, 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 great couple of times, Uncle Matthew McCall, he was actually the first mayor of the city of Edmonton. Oh, my goodness, what a small world. <laughs> a Here we are. Very small world. Very small world, and he was very interested in communities. And I think it's communities that we need to think about as well when we focus on the potential that cities have uh, to make a difference uh, in the lives of the people who live in and around them. We absolutely do. And we're talking about communities. I'm, I'm thinking the word neighborhoods as well, and we'll get that into the conversation. Who was just speaking? Please go ahead. Yeah, I disagree with Teresa. It's Sean. I, I think the other thing Hi, is... Sean. Cities that have a very well-developed set of communities, you know, are the ones that can better respond to things like disasters and crises. So you had Hurricane Sandy, Sandy in, in New York, and uh, we had the terrible earthquakes in, in uh, New Zealand and Japan, and we've had, you know, the floods and fires in Australia. And what's really interesting, the cities that are best able to recover are the ones that have the strongest community and the strongest social network. And I think that's a a really good sign of what binds a city together. Yeah, it, it makes I, it robust. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Teresa. Oh, the robustness of a city, I think, is 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 heavily reliant or heavily defined or de- by those communities. So I, I, I think it's a really important aspect, and I had forgotten about those very very important examples. Yeah. Now, let's talk about technology. That's part of why we're here today. We're talking about best-run cities. They just didn't get there because five or ten or a thousand or a million people sat around a table and said, wow, we're a great city. It takes work. It takes planning, decision-making, some kind of democratic process where people say, okay, we have leaders, we have followers, we have, hopefully, as in the case of Chris Moore brought out in Edmonton, a collaboration. Chris opens his office, open walls, we share the water cooler. Great stuff. Who makes the decision? And Chris, maybe we'll start with you on this. Who makes the decision that it's time to either upgrade or bring in technology to make it better, make it faster, make it smoother to improve quality of life and systems? Who makes that decision, Chris? And who decides, yes, we'll spend the money and the time and we'll bring in technology? Chris? Well, I guess it depends on the decision. But from our perspective, when it comes to our business systems, you know, our our SAPs and Intergraph and all that, it's really the business leader, the most accountable executive on our, on our executive team makes that decision. We function in a collaborative environment, and, I mean, the ultimate decisions belong to the council. When it comes to our move to Google, which we're in the middle of right now, that decision was made by our corporate leadership team. But I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that is really powerful. Decisions are powerful, but one thing that we say here is that the, the recommendation is very powerful. So guiding that, and so it's not just about who makes the decisions, but who brings forward those recommendations and the business case. And that's, I mean, I have a responsibility to do that for a lot of our technology, and I do that in partnership with our business leaders when it comes to our, our enterprise systems. But it's about decisions, and it's about really clear, thought-out, diligent recommendations. 
Thank you. And Adi, I want to bring you into this. Adi, I know your belief is that cities can't go it alone. They have to think regionally. And the biggest cities are likely to be chief innovators and true risk takers. And we're talking about evolutionary growth. But I'm going to misquote something here. No city is an island. So how big, how do cities get together and collaborate on a regional level, not just on a local community slash neighborhood level? Adi Tomer from Brookings, talk to me. Yeah, so that it's a it's a really good point, and I think we're actually at a really nascent time in, in regional thinking. I mean, you know, you brought up a really good question to start the segment, right? About you know, can we even start a new city? Well, actually, we're starting new cities all the time. You know, had anyone heard of Fairfax, Virginia? You know, 50 years ago, and now it's one of the wealthiest counties in America, and, and home to many um, large and growing cities. Of course, one of the biggest office centers in America, in Tyson's Corner. And um, you know, the question is, how do we start to collaborate more? We've already set up that structure. Here in the United States, with with transportation, especially with regional transit, so buses and trains and things, and and have kind of set up that governance system. But but how can we do it for housing? I mean, it's one of the biggest issues here in the United States, and frankly, all over the developed world. How do we have affordable housing, especially as as we move to a more service-oriented economy? Um, how can we figure out new ways to officially and formally coordinate with one another? And especially when it comes to technological solutions, as you kind of start this this micro segment with, right? Is is, you know, cities tend to procure in an in a individual way. So many of our, like Chris, so many of our CIOs are tied to their cities, not necessarily their region. How do we kind of form growth strategies together, but also think about the, the implementation and investment strategies together, too? It's, it's really one of the issues of our time and something regions will be wrestling with for the next 40 to 50 years. Thank you, Adi. And I want, Sean, I have something I'd like you to do before we finish. We have three minutes till our final break here. Yes, three minutes on the clock here. Sean, you told me that one of the biggest challenges for Europe is how technology innovation can be promoted, but they're in the middle of a severe austerity climate. And you say, we see Asia powering innovation around what else? Mobile, real-time, and cloud. We're talking about data, big data. But then you say, if cities are the engines for growth, this is a real issue for Europe. How severe is the issue for Europe? Sean, what do you see from your vantage point? Well, I think, I think Europe has this very big challenge around austerity and debt. And, and that austerity and debt is having a huge impact upon government spending, the way, the way government organizes itself, and things like youth unemployment. So I think Europe has a big challenge that at the time we're getting these severe austerity measures and they're going to continue, how can they innovate with technology? And, and we had a discussion in London in a, in a panel a few weeks ago questioning whether austerity is stifling innovation and that stifling of innovation is meaning Europe is falling behind the global, the global uh, benchmark for cities. Because I think, you know, the, the traditional thinking that in India and China that they're not going to innovate as fast as Europe or the U.S. is actually, you know, when you go to India and like Pune in India, we had a customer in Pune that's innovating around a tree sensor using mobile technology and real-time information. They've gone straight to mobile. So no paper, no laptop, no desktop. So I, I think what we're seeing is Europe is, is in a difficult position. I think European cities can have a huge impact on innovating and to, to prosperity but I, I also think that the, the, the playing field has changed. You're getting more and more cities coming from Asia that are innovating, that are driving the cutting edge of technology and innovation in cities. And that means it's even harder for traditional cities, mature cities, to stay ahead of the game. And I think it's a phenomenal time to be in the city business because, you know, we have about 1,700 customers in cities and urban governments across the world. 
And mm-hmm. they're all, at the same time, trying to sustain themselves, trying to transform the way they deliver services, and they're trying to innovate at the same time. Yeah, I think this comment is is really is really spot on. This idea that so many of the established cities are really wrestling with their legacy environments. Um, they they see what's possible, but they're they're really um, anchored, if you will, um, by what they've invested in over the years, and trying to understand how to leapfrog from their current environments really to cutting edge strategies and policies and programs. Um, is really challenging, and, and I think that's a it's a very very important place for a lot of us to be focusing and paying our paying attention to is to help these cities, um, both those that are you know coming from the from the ground up, but the cities who are wrestling to make a make a change and make changes that matter in really significant ways um, to allow them to overcome um, what has been um, invested in over the years and has aged out. Thank you, Teresa. Thank and you, I think, Sean. I agree with Teresa. I agree with Teresa. I think the other thing that we're finding is, is uh, the, the the execution of the strategy is key for cities to succeed. And we, we had a chat, and Chris was on the panel with Bill uh, uh, last year in New York, where we talked about what's the secret sauce for a city. And I think Boston and the Boston About Results program is very interesting to various, various cities across the world. Because what Boston are looking at is they know that they need to uh, accentuate their strengths and manage or mitigate their weaknesses. And I think it's cities that can understand what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and manage and execute strategy to improve and stay competitive are the ones that are going to succeed in this reality. And I think that's, that's a really good message. You know, we were meeting various officials in various countries and cities and, and they're all interested on what they can do to be improve their performance, execute better. Good points. Good points. And you know what? I have a point for all of you. We have to go to break. I'm going to give you all a chance. Okay, Teresa, Chris, Adi, and Sean, I want you to take out that, that polishing cloth. I want you to polish off your crystal ball. When we come back in just about 57 seconds from when I stop talking, we're going to look into your crystal ball, and we're going to find out what you predict for cities, for urban matters in the next five years. Look ahead to 2018. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be right back with predictions from my panel for cities five years from today. You don't want to miss this closing. Brad, out. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram 
at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And my panel has been polishing off their crystal ball so that we can find out what they predict. Let's hear from my four very, very smart people about best-run cities, urban matters. Dr. Teresa Pardo, talk to me. Five years from today, 2018, what will the city of the future, the near future, five years isn't too far out, Talk to me, Teresa. Well, um, my crystal ball tends to look inside of government. So I'm going to tell you about where I think um, city governments themselves are going to be uh, in, in five years as they work to try and uh, improve uh, the environment for everybody, government and, and all of the members of the, of, the, of the city community. I think we're going to see cities that are <clears throat> city governments that are more capable in terms of collaborating, collaborating inside of government, we're going to see them um, more fully understanding and, and prepared, I think, to collaborate with the different sectors of society, um, developing programs that make it possible for them to work with citizens. So, for example, in the city of Philadelphia, which I think is a front runner here, they've created a unique program that allows them to train community members to use their 311 service request system so that those community members can be liaisons within their communities. And I think these new kinds of programs which allow for city governments to leverage the commitment that individuals have to those communities is what we're going to see more and more in the future. So that's my crystal ball. Collaboration, multi-sector collaboration, we're going to see that more and more in big, small, and medium-sized cities. Thank you. Great insights, Dr. Teresa A. Pardo. Appreciate it. Chris Moore from Edmonton, CIO. Talk to me. How far ahead can you see? Can you give me five years, Chris, or you want to change the time frame? What's in your no, crystal ball? I can give you five years, and some of my stuff will be more technology-focused. I believe gamification sure. and gaming in business and government will be mainstream. We're actually working on a, a traffic and safety app that is Facebook-based to help Edmontonians drive better and some other internal games. So gaming will become real in the corporate setting. Digital identity, I really believe in Canada at least because our federal government's working on it very uh, diligently, is that we'll have that digital identity and be able to do some new things in terms of uh, online and purchases and in-store. And as people ask me, does it hurt when they put the chip in your hand? And my answer is no, your dog doesn't complain. The third thing, immersive, immersive 3D web and augmented reality uh, will show up very significantly, so taking the web from 2D to 3D. And something that uh, I believe is going to happen is what I would call the consumerization of democracy, and that is not a replacement for representative government, but it's people getting more and more involved in their communities and in government uh, and, and participating because they're motivated intrinsically. Thank you, Chris. Mouthful. Terrific stuff. Very, very good. I, I sense a part two is going to have to, we're going to have to regroup here for a part two in a couple months. Way too much to cover in one show. Let's turn to Adi Tomer from Brookings. Adi, what do you see? Five years from today, can you go that far? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not sure safely, but we'll definitely give it a shot. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I agree with Chris on, on multiple of his kind of a combination of his first and, and last. Um, you know, I think people are going to interact more directly with government. And it's not just going to necessarily be in the way we think of it, you know, let's say on voting day, right? It's going to be um, at, at bus and train stops. It's, it's going to be better information. Um, 
well, let's say you're driving your car, even walking down the street, uh, there's going to be more of a direct interaction with public-related data where government's more the steward than anything, but it's really about the citizenry um, better communicating with what's going on out there in the real world. Um, I think the other element, though, is that we're going to get smarter and smarter about the investments we make and technologically related uh, solutions. So everything from capturing this kind of big data, quote-unquote, revolution, um, but also figuring out how we can get value out of all kinds of resources we have um, in our city. So one really quick example is a place like, let's say, Vienna, Austria, which, which does not landfill anymore, um, burns its trash for energy. Um, that kind of combination, those kind of unique, innovative ideas we're going to start seeing popping up all over the world, not just what are world-class leaders right now. It's really going to change uh, how we live in the world, make a more sustainable environment, but also make a more economical one, too. Thank you, I.D. Great insights as well. And let's round this out, the crystal ball prediction segment with Sean Patrick O'Brien from SAP calling all the way from China. Sean, how's the crystal ball looking over there? Cloudy or clear? Uh, it's looking clear, but if I have any more of this bite you, it, uh, it might get <laughs> cozy and uh, a bit sort of cloudy. But How did I know? I, I think Go the ahead. First thing that we're gonna see, I think the first thing we're going to see is uh, the, 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 the hype around smart cities, the, the concept of smart cities, I think is going to fizzle. And I think city governments are going to be more focused on what makes them competitive and the complexity, the you know, eight, eight dimensions that you measure when you're looking at a city being best run or competitive. So I think that has focused the mind, and the momentum is there. But I think that's going to move on. That's the first thing. I think um, the balance of power in cities, if we look at the Economic uh, Intelligence Unit report last year, it identified 10 of the best or the most competitive cities in the world, most of them within the U.S. or Europe. Uh, incidentally, eight of the 10 uh, we SAP had a role in some way supporting. And I mm -hmm. think in Europe, we're going to see a migration, economic migration, perhaps to some of the emerging economies where, the, you know, the last century people moved from India and various places to Europe. Maybe people will start moving to these new economies. And I think from a technology point of view, we see three things, really. Mobile first. So more and more of the way government officials interact and citizens interact with through mobile. And I agree with Chris you know, democracy, money, collaboration, information and services. I think the second thing is real-time is going to happen. It's happening. Uh, real-time through information, services, uh, transactions, reporting, predictive analysis. And I think everything cloud. I think cloud is going to increase in cities uh, exponentially. Thank you very much. Good predictions. I, I hope I have time for a bonus question. If you can all answer with just a three-word answer, let's see if we can do this really fast. Bonus round. We'll start with Teresa, then Chris, then Adi and Sean. What is the DNA, the profile, very quickly, of the mayor of the future who will be able to handle all this, to be able to do what matters to the city of the future? Uh, you can give me a gender. You can give me an educational background. You can give me an age, whatever you want. Just give me two or three words really fast. Teresa, who's the mayor of the future? DNA. Quick. Vision, practical reality, focus on sustainable strategies. Perfect. Chris Moore, who's going to be the mayor of the future? You? Generous listener. All right. All right. Adito Mayor from Brookings, what do you think? Who's the mayor of the future? Uh, Data-driven and regional. Okay. Does Bloomberg have a future after New York? Don't go there. The, the, <laughs> the soft drinks are going to do them, and I think. Sean Patrick O'Brien, mayor of the future. Who? Fast. Vision, vision, execution, and relentless pursuit of technology-enabled innovation to keep the city at the forefront. 
Thank you. And now it's time for me to do my predictions. Next Wednesday, March 20th, we're going to talk about airline turnaround, both sides of the runway, airport operations, and the passenger experience. Woohoo! March 27th, we'll be talking about business networks growing in importance just as networks are transforming our social lives. April 3rd, don't want to miss this one. Debunking big data myths. The elephant in the room. You have to hear that one. And I'm going to say I learned a new word today from Chris, Edmontonians. So just think, if we formed a city called Teresa, Chris, Adi, Sean, Bonnie, we would have to say the Teresa, Chris, Adi, Sean, Bonnie, Onians. And there we go. On that parting note, I want to thank Dr. Teresa Parter, Chris Moore, Adi Tomer, Sean Patrick O'Brien, and Anka Rebel, Malcolm Kimberlin. A big hug and kiss to Peg Cates. You rock. The Business Channel team, thank you. And here's my parting words for today. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer. Today, I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Have a great week. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.